Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. I have with me Brittany Spanos and Rob Sheffield, and we're going to talk about the 20th anniversary of a deservedly legendary album. That album is Oops, I Did It Again by Britney Spears. We love this album. We thought we'd start out by having Rob read his original review of the album from Rolling Stone, which, much like the album itself, holds up. Rob, are, are you ready? What a great, great album this is. Nobody was prepared. She, she broke the second album taboo. Yeah. Nobody was prepared for any of these like late 90s pop kids to actually cross the line into becoming career artists. Absolutely. Rob, do you have your review in front of you? Yes, I do. All right, go <laughs> for it. Do. do you want to preface this? It's like, you know, since you're doing a reading here, maybe set, set this up where your head was at when you wrote this, where the Rolling Stone collective heads were at, where the where the world of music criticism was with Britney Spears at that point, because there were a lot of complicated rockism and anti-rockist strains running at each other. There's a lot going on. So set it up and then read it if you don't mind. The world at large was uh, very skeptical of the Britney thing for various reasons. Rolling Stone not being anti-Britney at any point in its career. Rolling Stone always being pro-Britney in those days. But there was a... Uh, a lot of skepticism about the idea that she could make a, a second album, especially with a title as audacious as Oops, I Did It Again. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> presuming the idea. So I wrote this as a, a Britney fan with very much a sort of defending her against the, the widespread derision that, that faced her at that time. What did you have? Did you have like an advanced cassette? Did you have a, a CD locked in a Walkman? How did they, <laughs> what was your form of advance? It was, it was a, a, a white label CD with uh, no packaging, just in a little jewel box with the, uh, the, the familiar uh, Jive, uh, Jive was the record label, the Jive typeface with its serifs that, that could only <laughs> mean a, a new artifact by Britney Spears had entered my life. <laughs> and uh, it's funny, I still remember the actual promo CD so well. And uh, I was telling people how great this record was and nobody believed it because even people who enjoyed the hits from the first album, they were not willing to go as far as to say that she had more albums in her. Everybody assumed she was a flash in the pan. I was making the case for her as part of the great pop tradition, going back to the rock and roll girl groups of the 50s and the 60s. So there's a, a lot of that context in my review. But... Uh, make that case for her. Britney Spears carries on the classic archetype of the rock and roll teen queen, the dungaree doll, the angel baby who just has to make a scene. She has nothing to do with Lolita and everything to do with Anne margarets pre-pants in Bye Bye Birdie. It was a popular film of the early 60s. Look it up. <laughs> Buddy Holly called her Peggy Sue. Ricky Nelson called her Mary Lou. The Beach Boys called her Barbara Ann. And her boyfriend called her Beachwood 45789. It's her party, and she'll grind if she wants to. Shooting at the walls of heartache, bang, bang. She is the warrior. Brittany is a solo starlet working the girl group, Shoop Shoop. And if she's no Dusty Springfield yet, parenthetical, I think we can all agree she attained that level of, of greatness uh, not long after this review was written, actually. But uh, if she's no Dusty Springfield yet, she's up there with Leslie Gore, Connie Francis, and Claudine Clark. Oops, I Did It Again is fantastic pop cheese with much better Song Factory hooks than NSYNC or the Backstreet Boys get. Sorry, but I stand by that statement. It's true. <laughs> the usual Swedish suspects provide sugary disco bombast, along with guest producers Rodney Jerkins and Mutt Lang. 
in the terrific title hit, which was already on the radio at this point and was already controversial. The music comes from Barbara Streisand's Woman in Love. The words about <laughs> Morrissey, circa, I started something I couldn't finish. Exact same lyric, but uh, that brutal growl is all Britney, articulating a violently ambivalent sexual confusion her audience can relate to, kicking and screaming for the right to figure out her desires before the world figures for her. She's in the dressing room trying on various styles of adult sexuality that don't quite fit yet, and her fans know how that feels. As the Crystals used to sing, girls can tell. This is before Spoon used that as an album title. I'll just <laughs> make that part of the timeline clear. <laughs> uh, and and for, the, for the final paragraph, I admit there's an awful lot of Mick Jagger jokes here. <laughs> after presume the Rolling Stone readership who just, just trying to build bridges in the way that Britney liked to build bridges you can hear the same fury in her brilliant version of the Rolling Stones I Can't Get No Satisfaction as she va- what an insanely brilliant cover that was I'm sure we'll talk yes. about that as she vandalizes the words she changes how white my shirts could be to how tight my skirt should be which is perfect and snarls in libidinal frustration let it bleed Miss B Clearly, it's just a matter of time before Christina Aguilera strikes back with Have You Seen Your Mother, Brittany, Standing in the Shadow, followed by Jessica Simpson's Under My Thumb, Mandy Moore's Ruby Tuesday, and the Backstreet Boys' Backstreet Girl. That's the great thing about Oops. Under the cheese surface, Brittany's demand for satisfaction is complex, fierce, and downright scary, making her a true child of rock and roll tradition. I think you were right. Amazing. <laughs> I would have to say that the bright lights of vindication are practically <laughs> blinding me as I look at these words 20 years ago. Shortly, <laughs> shortly after this, I went out to um, Northern California to Silicon Valley to interview the guys who had this new software called Napster. You might have heard of it. <laughs> it, was, uh, it. It destroyed the music industry at that time. And it was uh, Sean Fanning and Sean Parker and... I was meeting them, and this was my new thing in the magazine at the time, and the copies that was on newsstand was my positive review of the second Britney album. And Sean Parker was so violently offended that I had written positive things about this album. (laughs) She got up from the table and paced around the restaurant for a minute with, like, fumes of anger escaping from his ear. He was so angry about I'm, like, picturing Justin Timberlake as Sean Parker in The Social Network. Exactly. From that story. I wish I could go back in time and say, you know, in a few years, (laughs) you'll only be remembered by people from her boyfriend playing you in a movie. (laughs) Still, you got him so angry that he became all the more determined to destroy the whole in- music industry. Look right. what you Absolutely. did, Rob. Absolutely. <laughs> you want to buy a Tower Records, Eduardo? <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the many great points you make in your review is the extent to which this album and a good segment of Britney's career was about twisting the thing from being an object to a subject, you know, and and to being sung about, to being the singer for dudes singing about lusting after you to being the person doing the lusting and feeling the emotion and having the conflict. And I, I think that's a big part of what Brittany was doing at that time. And I'm not sure everyone got, does that make sense? Do you buy that Brittany? Yeah. I mean, I, I've always, especially once I, I mean, I was seven when the album came out, so I didn't have the context for a lot of it. (laughs) But, like, I think as a person who became, like, a huge Janet Jackson fan and, like, knowing how influential Janet is on Britney and thinking of this as her control, like, her kind of leaving a lot of that very, like, demure, childlike 
you know, like teenage innocence behind on this album, but still kind of in this very accessible, still very teenage way. The interludes, I mean, it's like literally just, it's control. But yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely accurate and sort of like how she like reframed her own sort of power in the dynamics. Absolutely. The, the comparison to control is so right on. Yeah, I think like the interludes, especially once I had listened to the album after some years and like went back to it, because those are something I didn't, that never like really stuck out to me on the album when I listened to it when I was younger, but like in the context of control, I'm like, oh, those like little like phone call kind of interludes on it. Like, I see what you're doing, Brittany. when you re-listen to the music britney spanos not spears uh when when you when when you re-listen to the album what strikes you about the production and songwriting because i had a bunch of thoughts after after hearing it again i listened to this album and baby one more time kind of separately like once baby one more time had like run its course in my cd player like then it was like (laughs) oops i did it again and so it's kind of fun to listen to them together and and hear how much change. And I think also like thinking of our conversation during the Fiona Apple episode, like the the difference between the first and the second album and kind of that freedom that you hear from her and like the like lack of restraint and that sort of like the growl, the kind of just like, she's like preening all across the album. She's performing. It's so theatrical. Well, the videos obviously get even more theatrical. And I think of like the Lucky video. I mean, Lucky's definitely my favorite song from the album. She's having so much fun on every single song and the Rolling Stones cover, like she's just like having such a good time and the production is just so it's so stellar. And like you hear so much of that influence on like every teen pop star first album. Like I think they look more to Oops I Did It Again than they do to Baby One More Time. One of the things that I think always struck me about the sort of Swedish pop complexes work and and yes before sweden was known for an experiment and heard immunity they were they were better known for making uh, incredible pop music but the degree of classicism in the approach and you really hear it on this album and I, and i think all the sort of the britneyness of britney and the revolutionary nature of her image and videos i think could overshadow the extent to how much of the songcraft is rooted in kind of pruning the best moments of of 20th century pop and rock songcraft and production. You have doo-wop chord progressions on this album. You have uh, just very almost retro songwriting and it works so well. And, and then of course, most directly in the I Can't Get No Satisfaction cover, which yes, is, a, is like a brilliant deconstruction of that song, both musically and just sort of ideologically, again, for, for a, a teenage girl to take over <laughs> the narration of that song is so, you know, especially given the, the Stone's own history of, with the depiction of women, it's strikingly sophisticated. But like, it's, Rob, what do you make of just sort of the, because it, it's obviously on the cusp between the 20th and the 21st century. And I, I hear more 20th century than I do 21st century if, in it, if you know what I mean. As you guys both point out that the songwriting is very classicist and, and very um, almost traditional show busy in a way, whereas the production is very futuristic and bombastic. Right. It's that really like wild combination of the two. So it's almost like she does satisfaction in a way of, saying to like the people who are buying the album, hey, now your big brother complains all the time about you playing it because it's not <laughs> real music. I'm going to literally do like the Rolling Stones here and uh, I'm honestly going to make Mick Jagger sound like 
a really silly boy by comparison. And it's a uh, brilliant total vandalism attack on the song. And yeah, it, it was a real rollover Beethoven type of thing, except it's like rollover Mick Jagger kind of thing. It, like, it, really, <laughs> it really, really, really was. The bombast is the other thing that I've always loved about the record. And I was talking before we started about Stronger, which I actually think is my favorite song on the record. It's just, it's so unabashed in its bigness from the, the ridiculously huge harmonies and the, the chorus itself, was, which is just like, like the most let's go for it still i i think of it as like a 90s dance diva type thing it's just so the kind of thing you can only do when everyone involved from the songwriters to the performer is is so confident and it's kind of thrilling in a way i really remember hearing it first first time and just being like this is awesome (laughs) specifically about stronger what are your stronger thoughts (laughs) let's talk about stronger for a while (laughs) yeah i love that i always love that she it's like one of those things that when you're, it's like easy to dissect the reference to baby one more time in the lyrics where like when you're a kid, you're like, oh my God, I get it. Like I get why she's doing this. And it was so thrilling. It was just like, oh my God, she's referencing the other song. But yeah, I mean, I've always loved that song. And I have so many conversations with friends who like, you know, similar age, like grew up with this song and like it's still like their empowerment anthem like when they're feeling really down like this is the song they turn to still and it's like I mean again like it's like a testament to the production to the songwriting like it feels so fresh still and it feels so classic and like there is a lot of very turn of the century like 2000 elements to it of course especially in the visuals but like a song like that just you know it doesn't age What's sort of the Judy's Turn to Cry <laughs> mm-hmm. sequel to, uh, you know, because uh, Leslie Gore had Cry If I Want To and then wrote Judy's Turn to Cry, or I don't know who wrote it, but there was a, there was a sequel song. And it, it's a little bit like that. It's the flip side, like um, My Loneliness Ain't Killing Me No More. And, they, yeah. and they, were, they were highly, brilliantly aware of the previous record. Uh, according to this uh, nice piece that The Ringer did on Oops, I Did It Again, they went as far as to just sample the snare sound of Baby One More Time for the title track of Oops, I Did It Again, just to make sure like, hey, we want the vibe, let's get the vibe, you know? It's just like, Rob, maybe talk about that, about how it works in the context of a knowing sequel to a hit album, rather than a radical break or anything like that. Yeah, definitely in the tradition of of the girl groups, original girl groups in the 50s and 60s, the song would be, you know, a a sequel to the, the one that was a hit before. Or, you know, from another musical tradition, you know, you think of the Four Tops with the same old song, which is indeed the same old song as their previous hit. Um, <laughs> it's, a, uh, it's a sequel, but also it's a fantastic song that stands on its own terms. And you can hear Stronger without even knowing, you know, the original. It's, it's kind of like The Godfather 2 or something. It's the sequel that, that surpasses the original. Mm-hmm. They should do an ultimate cut like they did with The Godfather and... and uh put it all together in one long song, a sort of Tommy-like song suite. I think it could really work. Rob was saying that he would like to hear, Brittany, what you kind of made of all this when it first came out, which I guess means it at age seven. I mean, I, well, I had worn out already Brittany's first album by this time. So that's just like already at base level. Like I remember listening to the first album like daily. So I, I just remember like the videos for all of it were just so fantastic. And I think have a stronger imprint on me than even the hit me baby one more time video like I very vividly remember 
every single frame of the lucky video like learning all like everyone learned all the interludes like in the oops i did again video and like the you know the and the winner is lucky like all that stuff was just like completely ingrained but yeah i mean this album it's funny to like hear about sort of the critical discourse around it where there was more complicated feelings and expectations of like what her second album was supposed to be and with all the pop music that I kind of listened to growing up, because I was just like, yeah, like everyone's listening to this. Like the only difference is like the older kids are listening to Limp Bizkit and Eminem. Like that was like the only difference. But I mean, it was just like everywhere. Like I, you know, as with her first album, like it was so hard to avoid the videos. Like every single time I had to stop everything I was doing and like watch the Oops I Did Again video and like attempt the heartbeat, you know, dance move from it. But yeah, I just, I don't, like, the ballads I don't remember, like, I know I probably skipped them when I was younger, and, like, like especially, like, in, you know, the second half, like, there's a couple more of the ballads, so that's, like, the one thing that, when I listened to when I was older, I was, like, I don't recall any of these ballads at all, but, like, <laughs> <laughs> I, like, do not remember these, but, yeah, I was, uh, the only one that I really loved was Don't Let Me Be the Last to Know, but that one's, like, I mean, it's, like, a perfect song. Remember, um, remember how controversial that one was? No. No. <laughs> no, why would... Just because Shania and, Mar- and Marlene wrote it for her? What, what was that? I remember uh, the video, if I'm remembering correctly, which, let's face it, I am, uh, <laughs> the video was controversially adult. Oh, so, yeah? I'm blanking on this one. Yes, because she... Uh, don't let me be the last to know a very, uh, a very sad sort of uh, summer vacation, love at the beach type yes. of video. And it was very controversial. And it was said that Justin did not like watching Britney kiss uh, his hot uh. dick in this video. But <laughs> they had to keep sending it back and, and re-editing it and, and basically censoring it for airplay. So wow. this is a video I very much remember as a work in progress that MTV kept showing and then pulling. <laughs> because it was too much Britney for the world. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think, like, also the lucky, I mean... Again, Lucky is probably my favorite Britney Spears song, and it's so good. But, like, I remember, like, so many of the songs that you listen to, especially from pop at that time, were all romance songs and, like, love songs and breakup songs. And to hear a song like Lucky that was just, like, I'm just really, I'm, like, rich and bummed. Like, it was just, like, what is she singing about? This is so fascinating. This is, like, a completely different thing that she's singing about. And so I remember being really struck by that as a kid. I was, like, this is just, like, not like any other song I've heard in my lifetime so far yeah and sort of strikingly prescient yeah go on lucky is her kid a really yeah (laughs) and it's such a fantastic i mean i think you're totally right i i I think push comes to show this might be just her best song definitely of the pre-toxic era for instance it's the one that you know when when taylor played her first taylor swift oh my god rob you read my mind i literally was about to say i feel it's the most Taylor Swiftian of the early Britney Spears yeah. songs. The, 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 yes. the first time she ever played Louisiana. You can find this footage on, on YouTube where she does a local tribute. She, she does her version of Lucky. Incredible. Which, you know, of course, she tried writing her own version with the Lucky one. <laughs> she 100% did. Lucky is even better. But, you know, hearing Taylor sing, you know, she's so lucky in, in a stadium full of fans in Louisiana who know every word of it and they're so proud that their local hero <laughs> is getting shouted out, shouted out by Taylor. Lucky just hits people where they live. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, also, I love that in the video, she has that little introduction to explain that she's singing about a character. 
and we should not think this song is about her because <laughs> yeah. it's absolutely not about Britney. <laughs> the real life story at all. So all is well with, with actual Britney. Everything is fine and always will be. Yes, there, she does not cry herself to sleep at night, ever. It was just so fascinating. I remember just being like so confounded by that, like the entire concept of, oh yeah, like pop stars can like sing about other things. Like there's like <laughs> other stuff that's like complicated, but yeah, it's like, it was very, that song I was, so obsessed with but i had a complicated relationship because she was dating justin and had my name uh, so yeah. it was a very it was very tortured during oops i did again but i could not ignore the album difficult to ignore that video is cinematic genius the fact that she's in the dual role of like playing lucky the, the star who has the sad life and then sort of britney the guardian angel figure yeah it's like <laughs> following her around and looking very compassionate and concerned all the time with the really short hair it was so good Yes. Like and, and crop top. And the crop top, yes. The guardian <laughs> angel crop top. And I love how she makes all those sad faces when Britney does things like, you know, throw things and yeah. slam the phone. And... In her very glamorous robe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> very mean to her co-star. <laughs> There's something I, I found that on re-listen, I found the final track, Dear Diary, kind of moving in that I know it's the, I believe it's the only song that she has a writing credit on the album. And it is so unvarnished, a teenage song, a young teenage song. For all her, I'm not that innocent. It's pretty damn innocent. It's a little bit touching because you know where, that she really was still kind of a kid, you know, underneath it all. And there's there's something, I don't know if it's a good song per se, but I I did find it moving. I love that song. Is it better or worse than Email My Heart though? I, you know, that's a good point. I think it's basically the email my heart of this album. And, and I know that we're all on the same page as loving email my heart. Yeah. Uh, we, we actually, we, we had a little bit of a, a dispute about that last time, Rob, but, but I, I, I might be coming everybody's around. Everybody's been yeah. doing emails. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> what is weird? I was thinking. Everybody's like, been doing diaries. Everybody. <laughs> It is weird that she went from email to like uh, this like a uh, 19th century diary thing. It's like it, 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 it's, it's, each, each album she was going back in time, you know. It's just like... Everybody was no longer doing emails at that point. Yeah. <laughs> there should have been something about like a, a sidekick pager, actually. Yeah. That would have, would have been perfect. She would have uh, written a great song about, or would have sung a, a great song about sidekicks. <laughs> it's we actually, we all missed it. out a lot that she did. <laughs> Yeah, what a tragedy that she didn't, actually. I know. Even some of the lesser-known songs on the album. I don't think there's one song, uh, there's a bad song on the album. The, mm-hmm. I, I thought the deep cuts were, were actually, uh, are, the deep cuts are even more fun to hear now because they're kind of like more songs in that style that we all miss and love so much, you know, mm-hmm. of that like peak Swedish pop factory style. Are there other tracks that you would want to dig in on, Rob? You know, where even to begin? Um, one kiss from you is a deep cut that is yeah. phenomenal. But yeah, there's there's basically no skips on this record, right? Yeah, I don't know. Steve Lunt wrote one kiss from you. I don't know if he was he Who was not Steve the Lunt? Steve Lunt was not part of the. Uh, he's a British guy. He wrote Shebop. No way. Oh wow. Yes. Yes. So fascinating. So you have the guy who wrote Shebop on one song. You have Diane Warren on One Your Eyes Say It. You have Mick Jagger and Keith Richards, obviously. Uh, you have Shania and Mutt Lang. That's like, oh my song, God. right? That's running the gamut. Even the <laughs> Diane Warren song is really good. It is. I, yeah. wonder how, I wonder how many songs Diane Warren submitted for the album. I wonder if there's like seven Diane Warren songs that were in contention. <laughs> she, you know? she, she probably had like 
she, she probably submitted it on the, the condition that they could not make this one a hit. <laughs> <laughs> she's trying to upgrade to, you know, Oscar. She's, she was shooting for her EGOT at that point. <laughs> but the fact that, you know, that Mutt and Shania wrote one of the best hits from this record. Yeah. That's just kind of brilliant. I mean, this, this was Shania's peak. You know, Shania was huge all over the world at this point with the, the huge mega success of, of the Come On Over album, which was a, just a long-running hit. It was an even bigger hit the second year it was out mm. than the first year. So the fact of even just getting Mutt and Shania to write a song for your record is such a vote of confidence in Britney's future. Yeah. And by the way, apparently Britney went to the Chateau owned by Mutt Lang and Shania to record that song. And I feel like that's a short film in itself. Someone should make a whole movie about the, the <laughs> evening that Britney Spears spent with Shania Twain and Mutt Lang long ago. <laughs> I can only imagine. I wonder if they tried to recruit her into whatever they, that weird thing they had going. <laughs> Whatever all that was. Anyway. Ryan. Yeah. No, no, I don't mean like that, but they had like a, some sort of like spirituality thing going on. They, like okay, a, a right. thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I did not mean like that. I did not mean like that. Rob, how, how dirty is your mind? My God, no, that was not at all what I meant. Uh, Most open-ended statement. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to be vague, but but I'm that grateful could be for the clarification. I yeah, did not yeah. know that they had spiritual concerns. I they, like the that don't them. impress me much video. Like, what are you talking? <laughs> 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 I was like, yeah, I would love to see Britney wearing the same outfit and singing <laughs> that don't impress me much. Like, sure. <laughs> so, I mean, summing up, I mean, we've only got a couple minutes. So, Rob, listening back, like, what do you hear now that you couldn't quite hear then? Although you heard a lot twenty years ago, it sounds even better twenty years later. It's hard to overstate how shocking this record was at the time. Even lots of people who sort of thought of her first run of hits as an enjoyable novelty, they just assumed that the second album was going to be garbage because that's the way it goes. But, you know, at this point, the still very young and unproven genre of teen pop. And for all these people who were like blowing up on TRL at the time, the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC and everybody, she was the first one who was there with the follow-up to her massive hit. And so it was such a huge sort of cultural watershed that she was able to do a second album that was this successful creatively as well as commercially successful. It just defied all grown-up industry logic at the time. It was a real act of rebellion and beautiful thing. It's possible that the debut of the Oops, I Did It Again video, as Brittany was saying, like the ubiquity cannot be overstated. It's possible mm-hmm. that that debut was like the true end of the monoculture. Like that was the, the last monocultural moment was the moment that that, <laughs> that video debuted. Uh, and then also, every- I love how it's designed to make no sense at all if you have not happened to see the then popular Leonardo DiCaprio film called uh, <laughs> the boat that sank i think it's called that movie like embedded in, in britney's song is, is just kind of mind-blowing the whole max martin thing of like his love of inserting you know authentic teen girl dialogue into yeah it's is just such a fascinating max martin theme yeah, I think you're taking this all the way up to his uh, first Taylor Swift collaboration. <laughs> Even though she wasn't quite <laughs> a teen girl. Exhausting, that thing, you know? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so, Brittany, final words? I mean, this album, like, nothing brings more of a smile to my face. Like, every single song is so joyful, so fun, so empowered. It's just, like, such a pick-me-up, and it's such a great album to, like, you know, 
just you know remember remember 2000 but britney is this her best album blackout is mm, i would agree that, I, I i stand by that but i think this is like this may be like her second best album I feel like I return to this one now more. Definitely from the, the first run of early albums this is the one that's best all the way through. Yeah. And has, I think I would say this one has the best singles, like hundred percent, but like overall album blackout. Is it the best album of the early teen bop era? I kind of think so. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I, don't, I, I think this and no strings are like, yes. Top two. Yeah. It pains me to say the Backstreet Boys never made an album this good. Neither did LFO. I mean, Summer Girls really beats them all, though. <laughs> if, we're, if we're doing individual songs, nothing, nothing, nothing steps to uh, Summer Girls. But uh, <laughs> just this is, you know, just like solid album as album. So I'm Brian Hyatt. You're listening to Rolling Stone Music Now. We're talking about the 20th anniversary of Britney Spears' Oops, I Did It Again. And who better to have on but Nigel Dick who directed the Oops, I Did It Again video. Here is my conversation with Nigel. I know that when Britney walked in for the Oops, I Did It Again video, things were different. She was suddenly surrounded by people. You had done a bunch of videos for the first album, including the most famous video she would ever do. But things were were different at that point, weren't they? Yeah, I mean, the illusion is that People like myself, you know, once you start making videos for people, you're hanging out with them 24-7, you know, for years, which, of course, is not the truth at all. So you you don't see them for sort of six or seven months at a time if you're working with them regularly. And then suddenly you have this very intense 48-hour period or maybe 72 hours where you're back working again and you're big mates kind of thing. Uh, but the, what that does afford you is the opportunity to see how things have changed, or maybe not. And obviously, when we got to do Oops, I Did It Again, Brittany would have been, I, I guess, 12 months older than I'd last seen her. There's always a bit of a hiatus when you finish one album and you get on to the next one. Sure. And uh, she, you know, she was perhaps... 16 and a half or 17 when I'd last seen her. So now she's a year older and, and everybody changes quite drastically in that time. Um, but really what was most noticeable was the fact that she was just surrounded by people with microphones, video cameras, you know, it had become, you know, she's, she's now a money-making machine and beware of the machine because it will start consuming you if you're not careful. And, you know, in the prep running up to the video, things weren't very much different because we were, you know, away from the public eye. We were in rehearsal, wardrobe fittings and whatnot. But then when you're on the set, you're on this huge stage, which is certainly the biggest stage in the States that I'd ever shot on. There is the making of MTV crew there. (laughs) There are some other people who've been, you know, invited to the set without my knowledge. And when she walks on for the first take, she walks through the door and all you can see is a, you know, is a ponytail. <laughs> and um, I, I was shocked, actually. It was, it was a very painful moment for me. I have certain issues of my own with growing up in childhood. And I, I felt very deeply that 
this was quite cruel, actually. And I remember, I remember at the time posting on my then very young website, mm. you know, how much things had changed. And I was questioning the machinery that launches a teenager into the stratosphere. And rather like that image of a, you know, a lone pilot in a pod being thrown into space. There she was on her own, surrounded by all these people. And she just wants to get on stage and give a performance. Uh, and I think to do that and be cool, calm, collected about it, however experienced you are, is tough. And at that age, you know, I'm sure it, it, had, it had some ramifications for her as a person. Absolutely. And the concept of the video, uh, you know, it's, I always love the video and watching it now, it, it, it made me smile. But it, it's like, what was, <laughs> where did all the space stuff come from? Where did the, the kind of the whole idea for the whole thing even arise? Well, she rang me up. By this stage, I'd done three other videos. Of course. And uh, so I, the label gives me a call and they say, can you call Brittany or which she's going to call you? I can't remember what happened. But anyway, we jump on the phone. Hi, how are you doing? How's things? You know, I, I'm just trying to be friendly and polite. And um, she says, well, I, I want to do this video. I want to be on Mars. I want to be in a red suit. <laughs> I want there to be a cute spaceman, but no rocket. And that was it. You know, that's the brief. <laughs> Which for me makes life a lot easier because uh, it's a bit like your editor saying to you, uh, okay, Brian, I want you to go and write a story next week and you've, you can look 360 degrees. I don't care what it's about. I just need it by Friday. Right. And, and you're like, holy crap, is this about politics? Is it going to be about music? <laughs> is, you know, even if it's just about music, is it like swing dancing, punk, you know, whatever. So having Britney say, I want to be on Mars immediately narrows the number of planets you're on. And, you know, so everything is now going to be red. The fact that she doesn't want a rocket is like, that's quite surprising. All right. Okay. Because of course, the first thing that leaps to mind is, you know, a a, a movie from the 50s, you know, Harry Housen or whatever his name was. Yes. You know, with a with a toilet roll rocket with a point at the top of it standing in the background. So yeah, you've immediately had all the options narrowed down. So now you have to just try and make this idea work, which really prompted my uh, little pre pre movie of the guy in, you know, NASA control saying, he says, Mars lander, how are you? And the guy says, you know, a gravitational device hooked up or whatever he says, I can't remember now. So I'm just, I'm just sort of laying the groundwork. Okay, we are on Mars, in case you haven't realized it. You know, gravity is working, so there's no, like, will he be bouncing around? And uh, you're off to the races then, really. The rest of it is just detail, apart from the rather glaring moment where there's something to do with the t Titanic in the middle of it. And you found that a little bit daunting to, uh, to fit into the concept, right? Well, you're going, what the fuck? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm on Mars, you know, which obviously means I'm in, you know, somewhere in the middle of the 21st century. And then the, suddenly the brakes squeal and you do an about turn and you go back to 19, whenever it was when the Titanic sank. You know, I said to Brittany, I said, um, but there's this bit about the Titanic. What am I going to do with that? You know, how does that fit in? And um, she, you know, signs the great... Uh, what do you call it, um, waiver of, uh, oh, you'll think of something. So 
<laughs> you do. I mean, you just go, all right, I'll write something and we'll see if they like it. And as I recall, I don't think there is any revisions on my treatment, certainly not any big ones. So, you know, we're off to the races. Then it's just a case of planning it and shooting it. And she at least certainly appears to have unending amounts of, of confidence and charisma, both in the video itself and there's some outtakes of her close-ups for the video. So how, how aware was she of, of what she could project and what she could do at that time? Well, I've now, doing this interview with you, I've now done about as many interviews about Oops as I did of Baby One More Time. Yeah. And she was always... I mean, I didn't, just to rewind, I, did, I knew nothing about the Disney connection. What, what were they called? Uh, Mouseketeers. Yes. You know, obviously I'm a Brit originally, and that was never, I, to my knowledge, never ever shown in the UK. So when I first came here, and when I first started working with her, I just thought she was a schoolgirl. I didn't know that she'd been through this sort of finishing school for <laughs> tots to be on TV. <laughs> So when, when we did the first video, I was astonished at how good she was in front of the camera. You know, because you very often, even with seasoned performers, you have to prompt them a little bit. Okay, that was great, but now, now let's put a bit more energy into it. Or you look very tense. Perhaps you could just relax and have some fun with it or giggle. You know, whatever you're trying to do to make the person give of their best. And she comes roaring out of the blocks like a seasoned professional, which I guess looking back she was, and delivers this wonderful beaming performance, which many people mistook for me being an evil old man saying, be sexy, which kind of pisses me off because it does not acknowledge the fact that she just had, had this charisma in spades. So yeah, when we got to oops, she's just, it's more of the same. She's bubbly she's joyful she's got a lovely smile um she would always rehearse very very hard when i worked with her i was always very impressed at how how hard she worked i mean it's professional athleticism you know it's not it's not like oh just wave your arms to the left and then wave your arms to the right <laughs> and kick a foot out it's fucking hard work and, you know, when you go and see them in rehearsal, they're all sweating bullets. You know, they're all wearing old T-shirts, which have, you know, got big, damp splotches on it. it it's, it's not sort of sexy by any means. It's, you know, it's a hard workout. And she was never shy about doing another one. You know, let's do another one. I want, I want to make sure I get this bit right. And I, I was always very impressed with her professional approach to that because you know you do come across people who are like oh i think we got it don't you you know i want to go and have a coffee and ring my friend on the phone now and um she was always like okay yeah let's do another no problem when i think the first shot of her is like these lip glossed lips saying oh yeah like what where does a shot like that come from well you don't want to fire all the guns at once and reveal the big set if you know too much if you can so you know you've got the oh yeah 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 all that kind of stuff at the beginning <laughs> so you just sort of think oh my god what am i going to do um so i remember putting the shot list a bunch of close-ups so you could have that as a little montage as a sort of a um 
you know, it's like a burlesque, isn't it? You, you know, you have the feathers and everything. You don't deliver the goods until the final moment as the lights go out. You know, so you flirt with the audience, if you like. I, I don't want to put it in sexual terms, really. It, it's more of like, oh, here's a mouth, here's an eyeball, here's, you know, whatever. So that you're giving the audience a taste before the number starts. It's also like at that point, you wouldn't have done that necessarily in the first album, but at this point, you're dealing with an already iconic figure who you can bring in gradually because the audience is waiting to see her, right? It's a, it, yeah. It, that's yeah. part of what that is. Yeah, yes. Thank you very much. It's, it's, the, it's the orchestra winding up instead of, you know, everybody coming in with da-da-da-da, you know, there's a sort of, here's a piccolo, here's a flute, here's an oboe, here's is um, the French horns. And then suddenly everybody comes in as we get to the main theme. And then it's all hands on deck. It's like writing. I'm sure you've written articles where, you know, Eric Clapton walked into the room and said, hi, Brian, how are you doing? You know, you, you pepper the intro with something else about starting the story. Uh, and so in the same way that the intro is the intro to verse one, these visuals are the intro to the, you know, the video as it comes, as it starts. And how much, to what degree were her handlers kind of all over this? How, you know, were there five people arguing over what shade, you know, her lipstick should be? Or was it, was it like that at, at that point? Well, I don't get, in, I don't usually go and hang out in the makeup trailer. So <laughs> apart from, I mean, I always go in in the morning because especially with, a female artist they have to go through two or three hours of prodding and poking and painting so I just go in if I you know if they get there before me I always go in and say hi and shake a hand and wish them good luck and say all right I'll see you in a while so, you know so they can just get on and do their thing and chat with the girls um, so if there was a discussion about lipstick I'm sure it was between her and the makeup team um, her manager was there there was a representative from the record label they pretty much left her to get on with it, which is actually, from my point, is quite freeing because then there's no, it's not directing by committee. You just get on and do your work. I mean, for your eye, it would be like you're writing out a sentence and somebody would say, do you really want to say awesome? Don't you want to say fantastic? You, you just want to slap them and say, shut up. So I appreciate it when people are sitting beside me and just nattering away on their phones because it means they're happy with the way the job is going. The one point at which I was concerned that they weren't jumping in was the outfit that she's wearing when she's lying back on the sort of star unit three quarters of the way through, or in the second verse, I think it is. The two-piece thing. Sorry? That's a two-piece thing, is that? Yeah, yeah, it's a white two-piece thing. The piece, the, whatever she was wearing when she first came out, I was like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? Is this appropriate? <laughs> and there'd been a huge deal that went down with the picture session for the Rolling Stone <laughs> cover by David LaChapelle about nine months earlier, uh, which I obviously was not involved with because I, I, I'm not a stills photographer. And everybody was going, you know, this is way too sexy. It's, it's not appropriate for a girl of her age and for her audience. And I, I'd caught some of the, the backdraft from that or the exhaust or whatever you want to describe it. And when she came out in this other outfit, I, I questioned whether 
it was right for her to be wearing it in the video for her audience. And both management and label said, yeah, you know, I don't know if it's right, but they weren't, they didn't want to say anything. So mm. I just got up and I, I went and said, you know, Brittany, we need to go back to your trailer and see what else you've got. And she, she wasn't terribly happy about that. I mean, like all girls of that age, you know, having some old English bloke wander over and tell her that they wanted to change her outfit is <laughs> like, you know, it's a challenge. But yeah. she, we went back to the trailer and we found that outfit that you now see in the video. And I would do that again. I think it was the wrong outfit for that particular moment in her career and possibly that moment in her life, you know, being a public artist. I mean, she became very sort of overt in the way she dressed later, but that felt right. Uh, and at that moment, I did not feel that that was the right outfit for her. Now, I mean, for whatever reason, I think that was the last video you, you did with Brittany. It's yeah. obviously out of your control, but did you ever have a sense of, of any reason why that collaboration never resumed? I'm guessing it had quite a lot to do with me questioning that outfit she was wearing. Wow. Um, and it's possible that, you know, I, I don't know what conversations go on in the background. You just see one day in a magazine or a press release, new Britney video directed <laughs> by right. Joe Bloggs. And you go, well, I guess that's that one gone. You know, if you do this long enough, you get to realize that you're not always going to be the person to get to do this person's video. Yeah. You know, and if you expect that, you are you are due for a fall. Right. You will you will be disappointed. So I learned a long time ago that the thing you have to do at the end of every job is go, thank you very much. Lovely to see you. Good luck. You know, hopefully we'll see each other further on up the road and wait to see what happens. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt. You're listening to Rolling Stone Music Now. That was me and Nigel Dick, who directed the Oops, I Did It Again video, among many, many others. And that's our show for today. We'll be back next week here on SiriusXM's volume, channel 106. In the meantime, we are a podcast. Download us as a podcast. Subscribe to us as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. If you can, leave us a nice review on iTunes. I always read them. And as always, stay safe out there, and we will see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.